Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, listeners. Hi, everyone. I've had a lot of caffeine just because we're like really into the school year. We're in, you know, officially in September. And for some people, y'all have been in school for about a month and some people are just starting. So uh, welcome. If you're just starting, it's it's hectic, but it's okay. It's okay. All, all is fine. All is fine. So we're starting <laughs> off with good vibes and hoping that this school year is different than the last few. Knock yeah. on wood. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the last couple episodes that we've had, we really wanted our guests to be able to, you know, give you some information, help you really see what this school year can be, right? Um, Have topics at the forefront that, you know, if it fits your child, you know, you're starting to ask those questions at the IEP meetings with the teacher, with the administrators. And today's guest, Dr. Sandra Elliott, will give you so much food for thought. I am really excited to have her on. Thank you for coming on, Dr. Elliot. Oh, Vicki, Amanda, thank you so much for having me. This is We're on an advocacy campaign, and you guys are great. We can share, we can help make people more aware of this um, unaccounted for uh, disability disorder. Yes, so we have talked so much about dyslexia on our podcast because we have so many clients, but we have not dove too deep into it's, I guess, I don't know if we want to call them like dyslexia's brothers or sisters, <laughs> so <laughs> to speak. And so we're excited today to talk more about dyslexia. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll get right into it? Okay. I started out as in the old days, what was known as a mod severe teacher. So mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. in a self-contained school. So I started at a time when many of our students were still in institutions. So I actually got to visit institutions where we put children with cerebral palsy, um, hydrocephalia, and other disabilities and disorders and thought that that was perfectly normal. And then we brought them into the public schools. So that's what I started from. So fast forward to today, after being a regular SPED teacher, a principal, a gen ed principal, I've worked with various curriculum companies around mathematics, and now I'm the chief academic officer at Touch Math, which is a 48-year-old multi-sensory math program, and we focus only on special ed and struggling students in the area of mathematics. So I guess you could say I found the perfect home for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give us a formal definition of dyscalculia? Okay. Dyscalculia is a neurodevelopmental disorder that basically is impacting numerical reasoning, arithmetic in particular. It's usually seen in the early, very, very early on at three years of age with difficulties in number sense, math facts, simple calculation, time. It has nothing to do with an intellectual disability. It is not curable, but it very definitely can be addressed with the proper interventions and supports And there's a fair number of fMRIs out there that have shown that 
if a student has dyscalculia with the right interventions and supports, they can do math as well as what we would call a typically developing student. I mean, that is something that I know a lot of parents will find relief in, right? (laughs) Similar to, you know, with dyslexia, having the right program, your child can read. So that that's wonderful, wonderful news. You know, what's interesting is, you know, the the buzzword, you know, everybody knows dyslexia, it wasn't always like that, right? Why do you think that has been more recognized simply because, you know, I feel like it seemed like a campaign, like you start hearing about all these famous people with, you know, dyslexia, what do you think that is just that kind of notoriety? Or it's just not enough people talking about it? Well, I think you're on to something there. That is part of it. But we also have two things that I think probably explain a lot of it. One is it's a cultural phenomenon. And two, marketing. So the cultural phenomenon is, I don't know a single place in the world where it would be acceptable to say, I'm not good at reading. You know, I don't like to read. I'm poor at it or anything like that. But in most of the world, it is perfectly acceptable to say, I don't care for math. I'm not good at it. My parents Mm. are So there's the culture. And then the second part is just good old-fashioned marketing. I think back to when we did all of the reading campaigns. And it was, and all of the ideas that were shared with parents about the expectation that they would start early with their children reading vocabulary that nobody ever did a marketing campaign with math. It's, but it's trying to do it. I mean, look at what's happened around mathematics. We've got STEM jobs going begging and we have states that are saying our economy is suffering. We need to put in, you know, high profile jobs, but all of them are going to require mathematics. Yeah. Do we spend anywhere near the time or attention on math that we do on reading? Look at we have 40, what is it, 47 states now? You guys would know, I mean, this is law. We have 47 or 48 states that passed major laws around reading, reading, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. not math. We only have but seven, yeah. and even those are kind of loose. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, especially like early educators and parents, they think of reading as such an important part of learning all subjects, because if you can't read the material, you can't do anything with it. But (laughs) I think what gets forgotten is that a big part of math is the problem solving, which affects so much of our lives. And I think that's something that is a disservice to our students that we don't look at math as so important because problem solving is like it's so important to adult life, to student life, to navigating social skills and, you know, so many dynamics. I would say that a lot of conflicts that arise with adults stem from difficulties with problem solving and conflict resolution. And I think, you know, I was a math kid growing up, like I did not like to read. I was the opposite of what we're talking about. And so math was always something that I felt like was my strong suit. And so I always look at things from that perspective and I, but I don't think everyone does. You are a rarity, Amanda. Most everybody I run into and in the schools, it is absolutely literacy first. Numeracy is you're considered to have a math brain and you're few and far between. And most of us are very, very jealous of that. We would like to have one. 
Mm-hmm. But you can help mm-hmm. stop this myth of the fact that there is such a thing as a math brain because there's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, anyone that I talk to that goes, oh, like when, if I ever talk about my childhood and like how I did not like to read until, I mean, oddly enough, when Harry Potter came out, I was a big Harry Potter fan and that got me into reading. But besides that, my sister was a reader and I was into math. And then strangely enough, I went to law school and a lot of people were like, wait, what? Didn't you, it'd be the opposite. Lawyers are bad at math. And I always thought that was strange because for me, I saw both sides kind of, and I actually see a lot of like logic and problem solving in law. And so like, I felt like I was put into that category, but I didn't really feel like I fit. So I completely see that as being something that we need to talk about more. Couldn't agree more. And when you made a, it's interesting when you think about math, for problem solving. That's exactly what it is. It's a way of working in an abstract world to explain a physical world. I mean, Mm -hmm. algebra came about to solve problems around the unknown when you couldn't count 10,000 trees or the height of a mountain. That was the unknown, but you could extrapolate from smaller things. And you look at today's world and, and the kids and what we need to do with math. And I think we sometimes in schools do a poor job of explaining how we do use math every day. It just sort of disappears. But I look at my colleagues who cannot calculate a tip in a restaurant. They, mm-hmm. That simple rounding, you know, skip counting by twos and they, they can't do it. Or I think of the fights that colleagues have or my best friends over budgets, you know, mm-hmm. The raise mm-hmm. thought that they could go out and buy a new car. And when you subtract the taxes and figure out what the monthly rate is and then down to the weekly, suddenly it's not that much, but they didn't have estimation skills. Wow. So math has a huge impact on us and it definitely causes a lot of problems. I mean, think of bankruptcies. Oh my gosh. Oh, I mean, this is the real life impact, right? <laughs> of having this unique learning challenge, right? And it not being identified properly, right? Are there screening tools to be able to see whether a child is more predisposed to having dyscalculia? Yes, there are. Most of them are in other parts of the world and not translated Mm. into English. There Mm. are some that are in the hands of private therapists. You know, their parents come to them to have them help with a child who is struggling severely with mathematics, but mm-hmm. looking for a an easy one to use by a school or a parent that matches with the process. And being a SPED educator, it was, mm-hmm. I worked with the school psychologist because we were trying to do a diagnosis. I knew what kind of wow. data I had to take them. And it was very specific right. data. So we've been working on and have released a screener, the DISC, for just that purpose, to try and ease the child study team process, as it's, I think it's still called, where if we think there's a problem, we can screen very quickly without a lot of time. We can gather observational data, and it's exactly the data that the diagnostician is going to turn around and say, you got to explain this to me. Why do you think this? And when you hand it to them, they can move the process along much more quickly because I know that you know, and even I've seen in, in my own world in special ed, it can be a year from the time that right. a parent comes right. in or the teacher thinks there's an issue to where mm-hmm. there's a formal diagnosis and we can write an IEP. A child doesn't have a year to lose. So no. No. Oh, no. with a screener, you know, the one that we've done, the team and I also went through and made sure that for parents, we gave them an action plan and the teacher. 
here's mm -hmm. the suggestion mm -hmm. of what to do with the screener. But more importantly, we're handing them the interventions, things mm -hmm. that they're yeah. doing that will directly impact and are proven through research. This will help the child learn math. They're going to be doing it anyways if they get the right. diagnosis. This is what will be written into the IEP. But you don't have to have an IEP to do these interventions. So it's like, let's keep things moving. The child does not have all that much time. We may as adults, because we're not in school, but they've only got 13 years that right, we right. exit them from high school. And hopefully they can go into college or further training for whatever career they want. And most of them take math. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I think when people, the service, when people think, oh, special education, it's just for kiddos on IEPs, when in reality, the way that many of these teachers teach could impact all children. <laughs> yes. And just like you're saying, we're all going to be learning math, we're all going to be learning reading, you know, it does. And even with dyslexia, we talk about, you know, the programs, Orton Gillingham, and and that's the umbrella, and we have the Nubel, and we have all these, you know, pro and it's like, you know, that could benefit a child without dyslexia, you know, it's just teaching it in a different way than what is traditional. And I love that you create a plan of action, you know, without even having an IEP for the parent, for the teacher, you know, this is something they're going to be learning anyway. But what is something that parents should kind of look at? Is it just kind of, hey, my kid just really does not like math. What is something tangible that a parent, you know, if they have, if they're starting to have suspicions, what do those kind of look like? And how do they sometimes present in, in our little kids? If I look at a really, really young child, the three to four-year-old, which is where okay. you can start to see it. Uh, okay. I was, I'm thinking of, my, of the little children that I've worked with over the past couple of weeks, asking oh, wow. them to bring you six pencils. And mm. if the child grabs just a number and you ask them to count it and they can't, that is an indication because a three or four year old typically can at least count to five to seven. Mm. If a, you know, a seven or eight year old is still using their fingers, that's mm. a sign. That's probably one of the biggest ones. Poor counting skills long past the time that you would expect a child to be able to, to you know, count up to a hundred is a strong indicator an inability to judge distance or how much time is left. Uh, oh, interesting. That is a really a strong indicator. They know their math facts today. Uh, you can ask what's three plus two. And today they say five tomorrow. Mm -hmm. They can't, they forgot mm -hmm. it. So working mm -hmm. memory oftentimes in the, in the, it takes longer to remember facts. Those are probably three good ones. Yeah. Yeah. We just released a blog where we put in the 10 most common uh, mm -hmm. to try and help people. And because some of this, I mean, parents know in their gut, and that's probably the biggest thing I tell moms and dads and grandparents is if you think something's wrong, more right. than likely something is. is so yeah. Don't, yeah, don't excuse it. Go ahead and try and figure out what it is, because one of the biggest things that I know is an issue with dyscalculia or with just about any disorder is not knowing. So the child oftentimes knows that their peers are also able to do things that they can't. And what that triggers in most of us is I'm dumb or mm -hmm. I'm not good enough or something's wrong. And when you can't explain it, you don't know why it triggers anxiety. It yeah. triggers, you know, poor self-esteem. But if somebody says, you know, if, if I find out I'm, I can't throw a ball as well 
And it's because I'm nearsighted. Somebody gives me glasses. It's like completely changes my perspective, literally. And oh, absolutely. Same yeah. thing with a disability. If somebody mm-hmm. says, oh, well, you've simply got this. It's kind of like being nearsighted. It's mm-hmm. there are things you can do to support you and you can do math. So I think addressing some of the, the side effects of having a disorder, that's just as important. And having parents, you know, teach kids how to do positive self-talk. There's nothing wrong there. I just have to work a little harder. Just like mm-hmm. somebody else can't run as fast as me, it's going to take me a little longer right. to do the math problem. So putting that all in perspective, there's, you know, a couple of recommendations I always have for parents, which is do a screener, talk to a professional. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. ask your medical professional that the child's doctor. Yes. You can talk to the teacher. You can talk to just about anybody, but definitely pay attention and definitely tell the child, hey, we're going to work on this together. You know, we can get this solved. I love that because so often, even when it's identified, you know, when you you rush to kind of, okay, what's the solution to this? We forget about the mental health component, right? And that it will take a little bit of time, you know, to, you know, that your self-esteem takes a hit, whether you're three or you're 30, right? Um, So I love that you give that as a pro tip to parents and to really, you know, acknowledge it, you know, glasses for a period of time, that was wearing your disability on your face, right? But it's so, I mean, people wear all types of glasses. I'm wearing blue light glasses, right? Like it's so just nobody thinks twice about it anymore. And that's why, you know, we were really excited to have you on as part of, you know, this advocacy campaign that you are on to get people to really understand and then do something to help their children. Is there anything else that you feel that a parent should kind of know if they are going to embark on this journey? I really think the biggest one is trusting your gut as a parent. Mm -hmm. I mean, as parents, we see lots of other children. So we know where our child sort of fits in the continuum. And we all exist on a continuum of abilities and skills, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. follow through on your awareness screener. You know, we have a screener out there. It's at no charge. Use it. It only takes a few minutes. Talk to a professional, do something that's awareness is half of it and realize your child, you know, with supports. I mean, the research is very, very clear screen and intervene. And there's Mm -hmm. no reason your child can't do any kind of STEM job or any kind of job that they want to, no matter how much math is involved. They just have more time and more support to do it. I think it's such a positive message. This is not something that is going to prevent you from doing anything. You just got to work harder. And quite frankly, that's a good life lesson for all of us. Hard work Mm -hmm. does usually get you there. Yeah. And that support. And and that's what the parents would be bringing, (laughs) you know, once they do the screener and and acknowledge that. Well, wonderful. And and Dr. Eller, where can people, if they wanted to contact you or get more information about your organization, where can they go? Uh, www.touchmath.com. So very easy to find us. And there's a whole page. We have a whole section of our our, um, website on Dyscalculia called Dyscalculia 101 which has, you know, simple lists to look at. We've been doing free workshops for teachers and parents for the last couple of years on dyscalculia and things to do. You know, we've had interviews with individuals who have it, what it's like growing up with it. And we're going to continue to do that. So, but yes, please, we're, and for you, Vicki, you and Amanda, 
uh, get the word out. I mean, yeah. we've got to yeah. do something about math. We've got to get strong. Yeah. It, and there's no reason that a math disability should prevent mm-hmm. anybody from having the making the life choices that they want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And listeners, we'll have all the information in our show notes. And we hope you have a great rest of your week. Oh, thank you Take both care. very much. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Bye-bye.